Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Hello, my friends, and welcome to The Kyle Serafin Show. Today is Thursday, September the 28th. October is around the corner. I went for a jog last night, and all my neighbors are already putting up their Halloween decorations. Are you putting up your Halloween decorations already? Don't you supposed to wait until at least October 1st? It just seems early. What are you, uh, Home Depot, a retail store? What's going on with that, folks? If you're putting up your Halloween decorations, put it down in the comments for me. Let me know. If you're just joining us today for our interview with Representative Victoria Sparks, we're going to be doing that in just a few minutes. So thanks so much for joining us. We do appreciate it. You'll notice I'm wearing a tie. Whenever a member of Congress stops by your show, you should probably put on the appropriate attire. Uh, thanks for joining us. Give us a thumbs up if you like what you're into. We're going to give uh, thanks to our sponsor real quick. I want to start off with my friends over at Catholic Vote. So let me pull this up real quick. There it is, CatholicVote.org. This is America's top Catholic advocacy group. They're in the fight for faith, family, freedom, three things that we love here. I think you guys can appreciate that. If you want to get The Loop, which is a fantastic email system, you should put in your email address right there. Give me your zip code and set it up. I'm going to tell you what's on my loop right now. Ready? We're going to pull it up. I get it every single morning, and it is full of it's that or gun ads. That's what I end up with. Gun ads and, and the Catholic Loop. Here it is. They said candidates spar at the Reagan Library, so they covered the uh, presidential the so-called presidential candidate debate. Is it the vice presidential candidate debate? Is that what's going on? Who's winning that? I think it was Donald Trump. I just put something out there. I said, whoever didn't watch it was the one who won it, which was me. I didn't even know they were having a debate. I sort of did, but I didn't want to know. Uh, Menendez. He's got an Egyptian associate arrested in New York. So more bad news for Bob Menendez, the Democrat from New Jersey out of the Senate. That's fun. The Senate unanimously restores the dress code. <laughs> uh, John Fetterman's going to have to put on pants like a grown-up again. Uh, unlike me, who can wear a suit top and I can wear shorts or boxers or whatever I'm into, John Fetterman, a U.S. senator, now is going to have to get dressed again. That's fun. That's a good story. Uh, the South Carolina library, uh, library left the American Library Association. If you guys watched our interview the other day about socialism, what you'll find out is that there is a Marxist organization that has taken over the American libraries, the American Library Association run by the number one Marxist lesbian. And so that is kind of an interesting story, too. So there are people that are now there's a backlash. This is the reason why. And I think you'll see this at the end of the show today. We've got a little video clip that you're going to want to stick around for. There's more hope than you think. I know we do a lot of sort of downer news here. But there is more hope than you think. So let's get started with uh, the downer stuff. Like I said, we're going to work our way out of sort of the despair and the sadness. Uh, topic number one, this is just yet another reason why people need to be aware that uh, the Democrats and the people that are living in Democrat cities, they don't love you. They don't love you at all. This is a really, really sad story. A 26-year-old tech CEO, a woman with a, a bright future in front of her. She had investments, something like seven plus million dollars invested in and, uh, and was bludgeoned to death in her own apartment. And you think, where could this happen? Would this happen somewhere in America? I guess the quest, the answer is sort of like, maybe? It was in West Baltimore. Awfully sad. Female tech CEO, this is being reported on by the New York Post. Alyssa Guzman says, this 26-year-old, her name was Pava LePierre. She was found in a luxury apartment. I don't know how luxury it is. A one-bedroom at 1,500 bucks a month. In Baltimore, that's a lot of money. Uh, for a lot of us, that's kind of like what one-bedroom apartments are going for if you live near an urban area. Pretty awful. Pretty expensive stuff, and uh, uh, it tells us where our economy is at. But this woman was literally beat to death in her own apartment by a guy. This is where it gets really ugly. By a guy who had been just let out of jail 
for a knife point sexual assault arrest. Does that make your stomach turn? We heard uh, yesterday about uh, a story, and, and I know a lot of people have covered it, a 17-year-old teenager being beaten to death. I, I don't know what sort of savagery is going on there. We are in one of the safest times in history, and yet we have this news of just unbelievable savagery. I don't remember ever hearing about people getting bludgeoned to death, beaten to death in their apartment. 26-year-old girl, you've got a picture of her on the screen right here. She's sitting on the porch. Um, she was reported missing. They found her in her apartment. And the saddest thing is, is that she she was out there contributing. Like, she's one of these people. She was a leftist. Her LinkedIn page actually talks about her company, which was called Ecomaps. And it says that their company is 50% female and 50% POC, persons of color. She bought into all this stuff. And then she's got this six foot four, almost 300 pound black guy who came out of whatever, came out of jail to beat her to death, even though he had just been incarcerated not too long earlier. It's incredibly sad. It's an incredibly sad statement on where we're in this country. And it's all the people that are voting for these awful policies, these cashless bails. They just went into effect in Illinois. I got a little tip from one of our, our Twitter listeners saying that the uh, the state police arrested a guy with $14 million worth of drugs in his car, the state police in Illinois, in the uh, the fifth precinct, and, and they just let him go. And they can't assume that that is a trafficking thing. Now, that would be a felony that would get this guy locked up probably for a long time in that state. And yet they just turn around and let him go. He's a trafficker. He's going to run. That's what happens when you do that sort of thing. Uh, big thanks to our live chat right now. We've got Eric Jason out there wrangling all of you up and making sure that we get the like button hit. And he is giving us the $5 rumble ramp saying, make sure you are doing so. We appreciate that, Eric. You're a good man. He's here every morning, guys. Eric Jason. If you're not joining us in the live chat, you could do so. Rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. Rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. If you put a slash live in front of it, you'll always get the newest show or whatever is pending, which is good. And today's pending show, I think is going to, it's going to help you out when you listen to what this woman has to say. This is a woman who saw a little bit of what this all, all looks like. Uh, I also want to talk about topic number three. If you pull it up, this, like I said, it's, it's not all bad news, but man, there's an awful lot of bad things out there. This is coming from ABC News. 50 teenagers, um, mixed bag of teenagers and, and young adults. I think they, the, the number is now 52 arrested. They're masked up and they're looting in the Philadelphia stores. Uh, this is a continuation of what we talked about yesterday. It's ongoing. Uh, they had this woman whose name was, I think her name was Meatball, something really silly. She was like this big, heavy set gal, and she was crying about being arrested, but she was live streaming this because we're living in this strange, strange time when people think they should not be accountable for their actions. And what would give them that impression, you wonder? Maybe it's DAs that let people out without having to pay bail. Maybe it's DAs that are just knocking down charges to the point where nobody is actually facing consequences. I had this really odd interaction the other day with somebody and we were talking about how there's there's something wrong. You know, we, we have a huge amount of physical violence that goes on, but there's also not enough for some people to just learn where the physical line is. If you get punched in the face when you're in high school, most of you probably had that experience if you're over the age of 35. You, you, you upset somebody and somebody lets you know that you were on the wrong side of the line. And, and it changes your perspective. It's like, okay, there's physical consequences to screwing up. And if you don't get that, or you get so much of it that it no longer has any meaning, and you end up in a, a, a society that devalues sort of the, uh, the, the, the red lines, the consequences, the, civil, uh, you know, the civility that should exist, and they don't play by the same rules. We're seeing that in Philadelphia, sadly. Larry Krasner is the Soros-backed DA there, and he's the guy that I, I think in some ways is gonna be He's, it, this has to be laid at his feet. 
He charged a police officer for something that was pretty obviously a self-defense shooting. Somebody drives, we talked about it, they grabbed a knife out of the car. You can't grab a knife when the police come to talk to you. That is the wrong move. It's the wrong move all the time. Every time, it's the wrong move. That's how you get put in the ground. And this guy got put in the ground. He decided to draw a knife on a cop while he was at the window of his vehicle. And he got shot for it. And then they pressed murder charges, which is absurd. And they were dropped by the judge who said there's no evidence. And that has caused an excuse for rioting. I don't think it's the reason for rioting, but it is the excuse for rioting. And when when that's going on, it's ugly. It's ugly on all sides. I feel bad for those of you who live in Philadelphia. If you are living in blue cities, if you are living in blue states, places that don't really care about your vote, move to where they will care about your vote. Maybe somewhere like in Indiana that has a good representative in front of them like a Victoria Sparks. We're going to play that interview in just one second for you. Um, but I just wanted to give you a quick update because we found this out uh, just before the show started. She had a amendment. This was amendment, amendment number 76. It was to one of the farm bills, and it was roundly rejected by not just Democrats, but also Republicans. You can see this right here. Uh, this is this is Rep. Start, Spart's Twitter feed. It just says, we can measure the depth of the swamp, almost 400 people deep. These are people that are entrenched in a, a sort of a non-constitutional idea that the government should get further involved uh, her and Thomas Massey, we didn't talk about it in the interview, but we did have a Twitter space about this. They were talking about how the government's trying to chip animals. They're trying to put vaccines into plants. And and these two were standing against it. And it's it's just a solitary position. It's one man, one woman on the wall trying to keep an eye out for American liberties. Kind of sad. Not the way that it ought to be. But um, as as a, a Excalibur just said in the, in the chat, yeah, Uniparty is in control. The Uniparty runs a lot of this stuff. I think uh, you guys can agree with that. But they can't win because the American people overwhelmingly don't back that. And whenever we decide that we're done with it, it is going to start happening, whether it happens at the ballot box or it happens at the ammo box or it happens uh, simply by people opting out of the system and uh, having states have sort of a 10th Amendment revolution. All these things are possibilities. Let's do a, a quick thank you before we get started with this interview here. And I wanted to bring up my friends over at Patriot Coolers. If you don't have one of these, you might want one if you want to be able to keep your food cool. Um, nothing worse than spoiled food if you're going to go on a day trip. These are their day coolers. You can use promo code Kyle, K-Y-L-E. If this thing makes sense to you, if you got kids and you're out there and you're worried about the sunlight, melting foods, melting... Uh, my wife always makes banana bread that has uh, chocolate chips in it. That's like her thing. And uh, the kids love it. But if you get them all melty, all it does is destroy the interior of your car. Little thing like this, we have the backpack. The backpack will actually keep things nice and cool and you don't have to worry about it too much. You don't even need to put ice in there. You can just keep it at room temperature and keep it out of the sun. Thermal insulated backpacks, day coolers, promo code Kyle, K-Y-L-E, gets you 10% off. There's free shipping for any of these items. If you buy them, they're all just over 50 bucks. So a good option. The lunchbox there is pretty good too. Uh, again, promo code Kyle, K-Y-L-E, at patriotcoolers.com. You guys always see mine. All right, folks, without too much further ado, let's launch this sucker off. Ryan, let's, let's give them a little taste of what we talked about yesterday, shall we? All right, ladies and gentlemen, I think you are going to really appreciate this. We're taking someone directly from one of the clips we played last week, and we are going to be bringing her to you in an interview format. We have the congresswoman from Indiana's 5th District. Her name is Victoria Sparts. I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. I think you will enjoy it as well. So, congresswoman, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I read on your bio that you moved to the United States in 2000. Can you tell me a little bit about before that? You lived in Ukraine. You were born in Ukraine? That's right. Ashley was born in the failed Soviet country, USSR, and now it's Ukraine. 
And I grew up, you know, in under communism, socialism, and I was not a baby, you know, when Soviet Union fell apart. And really, it's a matter of time and socialism falls apart. And then it hits people hard because when it does run out of money, it becomes lawlessness and the mob rule. And that's what's been happening in the 90s. So I lived through that, too. And uh, we had a lot of debate and ideas for Soviet times. And when I went to college, half of our academia was still Marxist and half of academia was Friedman Hayek. And we had a lot of deliberation as a young person. You know, I was very engaged in that. And I believe in this great republic with a lot of freedom. So maybe because I was naive in some ways and young, and sometimes maybe it's good to be young and idealistic. When I came to the United States after college, you know, I read about from founding fathers, Alexis de Tocqueville. So I believe this is kind of opportunities of equal rights and, uh, and, and all of the freedoms that uh a lot of Americans died for. And I was very disappointed when I started to see resemblance, you know, resemblance of a tyranny, resemblance of a police state, resemblance of, you know, corruption and politics that I grew up with. And I knew what it led to. And it's like you put a frog in the boiling water and you're like, OMG. I was very surprised. And that made me crazy enough to become a politician. But I truly understand what is stake and how important for us to win. What about your parents growing up? What what kind of political conversations were being had when you were a young child and, and maybe as you were a teenager? Well, listen, uh, you know, when you grew up on, on the communists, you didn't have too many political conversations, but I actually did a lot with my grandpa. My grandpa, uh, when he was young, and you know, a lot of people maybe remember history, what's happened to Ukraine when Soviets took over Ukraine. So his grandpa was a farmer, had some land and was, you know, and, and they were trying to take land away from people, put in collective farm and send a lot of Ukrainians to die south in the steeps. And my grandpa almost died. One of his siblings did. So he remembered that. And it was very vivid in his memory. And millions of Ukrainians would die for that because they didn't want to be part of socialism and communism. And he never, he hated that. He never wanted to join the party. You know, he worked a little bit, you know, on collective farm and they didn't like him, send him to Siberia. So there was a lot of fight for freedoms that it was kind of like, talk about that. I had my, some of my predecessor was uh, Cossacks that fought against czars. And when they say that, you know, you know, that freedom doesn't go through the bloodstream. I think it was important, you know, if you have your parents and grandparents explaining you and communicating how important it is, it does stay in your bloodstream. Look at the Cuban Americans here. You know, they go talk to them. They know what communism and socialism is. And I think that is gives a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, stamina to you to understand and what is it at stake, you know, and then when Soviet Union fell apart, my father, I mean, he died young, unfortunately, because of Chernobyl situation, he helped with building roads for evacuations, got a lot of radiation, that was another failed thing that happened in socialist country, you know, but when he even fell apart, he was an engineer for roads, and he was telling me, Victoria, all this government, it's terrible, we have to, you know, he was one of these young leaders that wanted to have freedoms. And unfortunately, most Soviet republics, you know, except Baltics, which were different, fell back into dictatorship. And Ukraine is actually the only one that's still trying to survive. And a lot of people going through bloodshed. So it's very difficult when you use freedoms. You have to go to bloodshed to go them back. 
And a lot of Americans died for us to have what we have. And we have to remember that and educate our children how important it is. It's really interesting that you mentioned people in America need to remember it, because I think a lot of Americans don't have a good perspective on their own history. And so I keep meeting immigrants that have come to this country. They have a better sense of American foundations and, and history, you know, compared to the people that were born here like I was. Uh, I, I at least had good education. Maybe you could kind of tell us, you came to the United States in 2000. I read that you met your husband on a train. Will you tell us, is there a good love story there? Well, listen, this is what, you know, my husband's mom is actually from Germany. His father was stationed in Germany in the military is how they met. And my husband used to go travel around Europe and <clears throat> happened to be on the same train. And I travel around Europe. I always had an interest, you know, in in the West. And I studied international economics in college. <clears throat> and it was very you know, a young adventurous, it's actually good to travel and see around the world to really see the difference. It's really broadens your horizon. I think more American children should go around that, you know, if they believe in Marx, they should go visit China. You know, I think it would be good experience for them to understand that you can actually go on social media and can be in jail for making a post, you know. And I think a lot of people don't realize and don't have appreciations, you know, what we have. I mean, listen, we have problems. No one is perfect. Perfect, you know, but look at everyone else. And I think it's important to realize that we still have the most freedoms in the individual. That's what makes us the greatest countries in the world, you know. And I think, you know, coming here, it just, you know, with a one suitcase, <laughs> with broken English, you know, landing in Chicago, not knowing anyone, you have to be a little bit crazy and adventurous, you know. But I truly was inspired, you know, uh, by the ideas of, you know, our republic and maybe, uh, maybe, as I said, being idealistic and reading it from the books of founding fathers, then maybe I was idealistic, but sometimes you have to remember the ideals. And I think this is important. I am not as idealistic now, but I, I pick my hills to die. But there are some hills that we have to take. And I think we have to save this republic. And some things of the tyrannies that happening right now, it's unacceptable in our country. Then we'll not be any different from everyone else. And this republic will fail if we don't preserve these principles. And we have a history. You know, if you remember what's happened with uh, Greece, what happened with the Roman Republic, they failed because, you know, we, they did not protect the freedoms of people and they turned into dictatorship. You know, and our founding fathers tried to learn from the mistakes and tried to create this beautiful constitution with a check and balances where the power is spread between different branches, where power is spread between different entities. They understood that. They didn't want to have kings. And I think we are not paying attention to what's happening right now. And when we centralize power, that is what's really pure socialism, dictatorship is going to happen. And if you read Hayek, centralized control and centralized planning, and this is case of accumulation power in Washington, D.C., that's what really communism is about, because they want to have what is socialism, and you have political elites on top, these oligarchs and everyone else is equally poor, and they're now making Americans more and more poor, destroying middle class, not allowing people with low income to move into, create wealth into middle class, and then they will have a lot of very wealthy people on top that get a lot of federal money and try to make us all puppets, and we should not accept it as Americans. So one of the characteristics I heard you say, police state, that's kind of a buzzword right now that people are running around with. Um, do we have a police state, and do we have an oligarchy in America from your position? Well, well look at 
what was happening, you know? I mean, listen, let's just look at the facts. Almost every industry now is controlled by oligopolies, you know, oligopolies, oligarchs, however you want to call it, right? But it is not natural. Most of these are not natural monopolies. It's government-created, government-incentivized, subsidized monopolies, oligopolies. Now, every sector, there is no competition. When you don't have competition, you don't deliver value. They don't have to compete. They just can ask for more money. And they keep asking for more money from Congress, too. We're even bankrupt, and they, they want more money. And don't you dare challenge K Street here. OMG, they're dragging you through mouth. I have a few amendments here that they've been dragging me through mouth. And I know they're going to have a national smear campaign. It means I'm doing something good. And I'm going to fight that fight. I know that I'm doing something right for the people because there is no lobby for the people here. So that is a big problem. Look at Department of Justice. Is Department of Justice really trying to protect Americans? Look at human trafficking, drug trafficking. We have a lot of problems with open border, potential terrorists crossing the border. This is very dangerous things that they have to be dealing with. And they harassing parents that vocal about not their schools, not serving their children. I mean, they have, look at our achievements on education. And we have 30% of our kids even eligible only to go to the military. People don't know how to read simple mathematics. What in the hell are we spending money on? People, you know, I'm glad that there's some of the things good about, you know, kids staying home during COVID that parents have seen how worthless education have become. And more parents are now concerned because it is national security crisis, not educate our children. You know, What's happening now where there is a, you know, attack on, on religion and our country was built on religious freedoms, you know, and now, you know, they, any traditional Catholics or traditional people that believe in tradition value now attack like enemy of the state. Look at the dictatorship of opinion. If you're not agreeing with us, they're going to tell you are racist, you hate women, you hate everyone if you have a difference in opinion. Well, if you know, listen, I don't agree with my husband most of the time, but there is like if government tell which opinion is right or wrong, that is called dictatorship. It's a tyranny. This is a pure definition of a tyranny. And when Department of Justice, instead of dealing real issues, start harassing Americans that just upset with their government, intimidate them. You know, the people now are afraid that FBI is going to be shown up to their houses. And it's not a very, you know, it's very nerve-wracking thing for a lot of people to have someone show up to raid your house. You know, just because you came to Washington, D.C. and just say, I'm sick and tired of this government. Well, the peaceful protest, that is fundamentals of any democratic society. You know, a republic cannot survive without us being able to voice that opinion. So if you look at all of that, you know... That is a tyranny. I mean, it's a pure definition of tyranny. I don't, I don't, I see like we become a tyrannical government and that is very dangerous. So you're playing off the same sheet of music that I have. Uh, I obviously saw some of these things. I brought some of them forward from the FBI side. And I'm curious, what was the reaction as you and your colleagues started receiving this information, finding out about the FBI investigating Catholics, finding out about the school board meetings and things that were happening and the fact that people like my buddy Steve Friend was out there surveilling parents and writing down their, their license plate numbers. How do you guys respond when this information comes public to you? Well, I think it's it's uh, unbelievable for me to see as an American what's happening. But it's also, I think people like you, I need to be also protected because it's interesting how the other side, they're like, oh yeah, we need to protect whistleblowers, but only if they like what whistleblowers have to say. 
course. If they don't, this is unacceptable. And I think we need to have some protections because the people, brave people like you are, are willing to stand up, you know, for with the people against the machine that can destroy your life. And we have to be able to protect people like that and stand up for people that willing. To, I mean, this is like their livelihoods, their lives, careers, and a lot of these people are not very wealthy people, and they cannot be fundraising with a lot of money to defend themselves because the police state is going to come after you, and they're going to be trying to harass you, which is unfortunately happening right now in America. So I think it's important for Congress to look at that and, and force Democrats to put their money where mouth is and have a truly whistleblower protection to anyone in the government that's willing to stand up. So I think, you know, a lot of Americans are shocked to hear that, but I appreciate your bravery. I know how tough it is to say inconvenient truths. You know, no one is used to, everyone, there's a lot of showmanship here in circuses and bullshit, go fight China on TV screens, but no one is willing, you know, to actually fight real fights and win them. So I appreciate for people like you are that American people can hear the truth. American people, people think here that American people are stupid. American people are not stupid. American people are just tired. American people have been brainwashed on so many lies, but people are pretty smart and they understand that something is wrong, but they need to hear more than from politicians, but actually people that know what's going on, because I think people are getting tired and don't underestimate the power of the people. If American people get fed up with that, this government will start serving them because we still have the greatest republic. We still have mechanism that no matter how powerful K Street here, no matter how corrupt politicians are here and how weak they are, if American people decide enough is enough, these politicians will start moving. I saw a pretty impassioned plea that you did in front of Merrick Garland. We played that on my show. And so my audience has seen you go out there and kind of make a comparison to the KGB. Um, in all fairness to the KGB, I think they were probably better and more efficient at what they did, even though they were scarier than the FBI. Uh, I'm curious, do you think that there is a parallel to the way that things felt in the USSR and the way that things are going right now? As, as it started to fall, was there the same sentiment among people that you see in Americans right now as they sort of, quote unquote, wake up and they're looking around and seeing something that they don't like? Well, and, and, and it is unfortunate. And some things, I'll be honest, is even more disturbing to me, you know, what's happening here that even worse than what happened in the USSR. We like discussing farm bill. Even, you know, even in the USSR, the government didn't get into your business what food you eat as much, you know. Even in the USSR, you actually, you know, had to, you know, they put you in jail for not working, but you had to work to eat. You know, we can create real perverse incentives for people not to work because we want to have more people depending on government to become more puppets and create very perverse incentive instead of empower people to move out of poverty. But every system, it has opposite incentives. So I think there are a lot of things are even more disturbing for me to see what's happening in our country. And if you see, you know, what's What's happening to countries like USSR, you know, that is a matter of time until, you know, the socialism, you know, fails. And listen, I actually, I'll be honest with you, I actually appreciate, you know, people like Bernie Sanders, at least he's honest. He says, I'm socialist. I hate the most is hypocrisy. And it really bothers me the most with some of these people that talk about we're fighting for freedom and competition. They're full of it. They are not fighting for the people. You know, they all just have nice presentations. So I said, at least be honest. If you're saying you're not serving the people, then maybe, you know, just be honest so people know where we stand. 
So you're one of about maybe 600 people in Washington, D.C. who's really got a chance to do something. I know you're one of 435 in, in the House. Who's driving this? Who's driving this agenda down the American people's throats and, and that you seem upset about and I feel upset about and I think the average American is upset about? Who, who's controlling it? Unfortunately, everything in politics and in government is about money, big money. You know, there are a lot of, you know, my, people on K Street that making big money, using poor people as pawns and using American people to enrich themselves. And I hate to tell you, but it's all about money. And if Congress is not doing its job, over 70% of standard is not authorized by Congress. We do a lot of presentations, but we can't even pass appropriation bills. We put a lot of, you know, devil into our mandatory spending, pure fraud and abuse of the system, billions of dollars that no one has a backbone to deal with because there are a lot of special interest groups that have to, you know, give some money back to the people. And unfortunately, these programs are bankrupt, but no one has the backbone because, you know, we have very expensive political campaigns, you know, and the PACs in the Senate want to have lots of contribution. And look at healthcare, number one, you know, two and three, that's big pharma, big hospitals, and big insurance, number not top three donors. And they're going to write big checks and they funnel billions of dollars building Taj Mahal's billions on Wall Street. The executives make billions. And listen, I am not against people making money. I think, you know, people have to strive to compete. But I am against bankrupting our great children to make some of these people into billionaires and make us all into puppets. And no one has a backbone, including Republicans, to stand up. And it's unfortunate that we are, we are, we are. Sometimes I feel like one woman standing. But you know what? I'll be one woman standing and hopefully I'll have more people there because ultimately we cannot lose this war. Well, I'll take an angry immigrant woman who's decided to step into politics, which sounds like an awful game altogether. People tell me the same thing um, from the outside. And, and I'm not in politics. I just comment on it. It looks like the Democrats are the team that is playing to win and Republicans are playing to lose more slowly. Is that a fair assessment? And if so, how do we how do we change that? Well, listen, uh, unfortunately, you know, Democrats definitely planning to win. And I have to I might disagree very much with what they do, and they're brilliant at what they do, and they always have a plan. Unfortunately, Republicans turn into showmanship and are not trying to win. They don't want to lose, but they, they're afraid to govern because governing is tough. And unfortunately, you know, if we don't set up, there is no one else can. So I have to make my Republicans strong. I was joking with some Democrats. I said, listen, you're so lucky. I am fighting so much with my Republicans. I don't even have time for you. But I think it's important for us, you know, to start delivering something for the people and for Republicans put money where the mouse is. And it's very difficult to do. So that's why I had to push my speaker, which failed a few times, to do better. And I'll continue doing it because ultimately I'm responsible for the, our leadership. And I'm, I can blame other Congresses and wait for the perfect alignment and the stand the future. But ultimately, I'm responsible for this Congress. And when you are in charge and the Republicans are in charge, you know, of the House right now, you take full responsibility for what you're doing or not doing. And you have you cannot point to anyone else. You cannot blame anyone else. This is your full responsibility. You are the deliverer or fail. And our future generation is going to look at us and say another worthless Congress. And I wouldn't blame them for saying that. 
So we've got uh, people in the in the audience. The average person is out there kind of screaming, do something, but they're waiting for someone to save them. What actions can people do that make a difference to you in the chair you're sitting in right now? Can they make phone calls, your constituents or other people's constituents? You know, what moves the needle for you as a congresswoman? I think it's important for the people and don't underestimate the power of the people. A lot of my colleagues will get very nervous if they actually get calls and emails from real people, not from lobbies, not from organization organized, but from real constituents, which will demand for them to win some battles. And listen, we cannot die on every hill, but there are some very important. We have to win. And I think it's important for them to hear directly from their constituency and don't like buy presentations on all of this you know people just i said like if people spend so much energy about writing books and fighting all these fights on presentations on tv would probably deliver something you know but it's all circus and i don't need messaging bills to die in, you know in the senate this is waste of time the only two times we're going to matter in this congress you know when we do debt ceiling increase that's going to become a law, whatever we put there, and we fail this summer. So I hope we'll do better next fall, and we'll have a better plan to challenge some of these, you know, very swampy creatures over here. And then we also have this appropriation process. That's where the money's at. This is where the the stuff is. So force, force your representatives to become a lobby for the people. There is no lobby for the people here. Voice your opinion. Just say, don't give presentations. You're fighting win for me. Figure out how to win because we can win if we really want to win. And I truly believe American people, even on a partisan basis, are fed up with that and tired. And there is so much. That's why uncertainty and frustration from all of the sides. You know, And I think it's very bad for our country. But I think people are frustrated that we're not serving them. So I would encourage them, call your representatives, ask them, are they doing town halls? Come to their town halls. And if they're not doing it, ask them why. Why they're not going and talk to the people? Are they afraid to tell the truth? Are they afraid to tell what they're doing and not doing? Question them. And if they're not willing to go in the trenches and have that with you, no matter what presentation they're lobbyists are going to do and what like their consultant is going to tell you all this bullshit they're fighting for you don't believe them take them out get rid of them even if you think they have a good presenters they all get money pull what is people like to hear take bullshit and behind the scenes making deals here and do not want to stand up for you and we need to start get rid of also including in some Republicans that are worthless. We have too many fraudulent talking heads here that not really fight in the real fight too. Uh, how many people move the needle? How many people got to make a phone call to you before you start really caring and that phone's ringing? Listen, a lot of people don't get very many calls from real people. So like you get 20, 30 calls from your constituents. My colleagues are getting nervous. You know, I get a lot of phone calls and <laughs> not all of them friendly, but mm -hmm. I'm involved in too many battles. But a lot of my colleagues don't get too many. And if they actually get phone calls from real people, if they actually, you know, have messages that, you know, that come from their constituency, they do care and they get start getting nervous and they start paying attention because a lot of them want to be reelected. A lot of them want to do some good things. We just need to strengthen them up. But some of them want to have this job because they will be unemployed otherwise. You know, you wouldn't hire them for $10 an hour. <laughs> a lot of them didn't have a job seriously before they came and kind of look up a little bit their buyer. 
if they mingle all their life from politics and never had real jobs, no matter what they have to say, probably not the people you want to vote for. I hate to tell you, but most of them, all they care about is being employed here in Washington, D.C., and, and then they're not going to be serving the people. And we have too many people like that, including in my side of the aisle. That seems very true from looking at some of the bios I've seen. Uh, less impressive. Yours at least has some pr uh, private industry, which is great. Uh, you said you can only pick a couple of hills to die on. What are your hills that you die on? Well, listen, right now I'm looking on our spending and our debt. I think, you know, what's happening with our debt is national security crisis that is going to destroy the future generation, but even destroy our current generations. The inflation that we're going to have, you know, is going to destroy middle class. Look at the most people, you know, like owning a home, it's one of the biggest assets they can actually buy to purchase, to be able to move up in their society, create some wealth. Uh, you know, housing is not going to be just unaffordable. It will become unachievable for many people right now. Inflation, you know, and all of the bad energy policy and inflation is going to make a lot of people very, very poor. You know, and I, it's 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 it accumulates in and it, it it reaches the point where you're going to be barely have enough money to just provide yourself for some food, and it also affects prices of food. I mean. I'm doing some farming. I'm actually the one who drives combine. At least I used to do and enjoyed it. You know, look at that. Fertilizer costs, energy prices, seeds, all input costs. I mean, they quadruple, sometimes even more. So that's going to all affects on prices for consumers. So I think we have so many monopolies dictating the prices, lack of competition, inflation, but energy policies. So they're very important. So we have to that dealing with our fiscal state of our nation. We have to move the needle. Our credit rating was downgraded because we don't even want to have a talk about having a plan. And that is very destructive. And then you have Chinese on top of it, try to undermine us as a reserve currency and make a digital currency to take over. I think that is very dangerous move. It's going to hurt significantly a lot of Americans and inflation already hurting a lot of Americans and people on fixed income. So we have to start dealing with that. I think that is a very important hill. And then I think another issue is the border security. It's unacceptable what's happening in our border. This is a national security crisis and huge material risks, you know, and danger to our people. So this is two hills that are very, very important. I tend to agree with you. Uh, my, my question is, is we, we brought up finances quite a bit. Uh, can the American people really afford to have another continuing resolution where we kick the can down the down the line and, and just wait to solve this later? Listen, I think we should not be governing through continuing resolutions and through crises. You know, this is how this play has been like that. Let's create crisis. We'll put a bunch of stuff into omnibuses, no one knows what it in there, and then we'll figure out later. And then it's plausible, let's, you know, let's vote for it and we'll find out later what is in these bills, right? So this is how a typical business as usual and, and, and a lot of stuff is very bad in these bills because they're very complicated and convoluted. So we have to go through real appropriation process. I personally think, unfortunately, we increased the amount of unauthorized spending. We didn't pass appropriations. We didn't do a good job with that ceiling increase, which I complained to speaker starting last November. I forced some rules to have a better processes and regular order, including 12 appropriation bills. I had to fight a lot with him on that issue. And I told we're going to be here in September. 
and we are where we are where I told him we're going to be. And I think it is a lack of leadership. But I belong to a group of people that said, listen, you know, I am so fed up with this. I had very unfriendly exchanges with him. You know, in the last few weeks, I had it, you know, probably uh, in, the, in the last six months, I had not as vocal, but I just got sick and tired. In the last months, I became way more vocal because it seems like it's the only way you can start push them to do anything, my leadership. So I told him, if we are willing, you know, I'm willing to give us more time, even though we, should, we knew that we, we didn't have time. We had time to do that before, but I'm okay. I'll give you a little bit of time if we can have that commission to at least do a better job next year and some border security, serious legislation enforcement mechanism to secure the border in exchange for a short time frame CR, which will help us to finish appropriation bills. But we need to have true intent and be very serious with the Senate that we're not going to accept all of these CRs to continue this way. We need to be very serious. We're going to start governance through appropriations. That's how it should be. You know, so I am. Some of my colleagues are really digged in now and they don't trust him at all. You know, I'm probably sometimes I want to give, give people more, another chance, probably more generous than some of my colleagues. I want Republicans to succeed. I know it's tough. It's, you know, it's a muscle memory. It's very difficult because it's done, you know, for too long of a time. I told him, conservatives are not going to fall. These are very strong people. You're not going to threaten them. You better be serious. I don't think he believe it. Now he does. So we'll see if he's willing to fight. I want to give him another chance because ultimately I want us to succeed, you know, and then we'll see after that if succeeds or not. But I think there are some legitimate concerns that some people in my conference do not trust him anymore. And it's going to be very tough for him now to figure out how he can convince them to go to one more battle with him. Mm -hmm. No, I think you're correct. I think a lot of people, just the the average person is, is getting that same impression right now. Sort of a, maybe a last question. Are you familiar with the Cloward-Piven strategy? Because when you say rule by crisis, which is what you described this, mm -hmm. this uh, appropriation failure as, it seems to me like that plays right into the hands of a 1960s you know, and onward strategy that is a very leftist strategy. And it's obviously very effective because it seems like we just keep playing into it. Well, I'll tell you one thing that, um, you know, <laughs> Democrats always say don't get any a crisis go to waste and they're much better, you know. So unfortunately, we're not very good looking at this crisis and winning and have a look at opportunities because I hate to say, unfortunately, government became that unless it's a crisis and get people's attention, no one is doing anything about anything. And we are not as good on the offense. You know, Republicans need to be much better on their offense to deliver things, you know, not just deliver talking points, but deliver real results and incremental results. So I think that is something take some leadership, take some courage, take some vision. And uh, we don't have a very good leadership in Washington, D.C., because I'll be honest with you, a lot of good people, normal people, common sense, hardworking Americans want nothing to do with politics anymore. How brutal it is became, how you get attacked, you get drugs from art, you don't have media on your side, you don't, you know, have, you know, have a lot of money on your side, so they're attacking you. So it's very difficult. And you be and you and your family will be drugs from mod. And a lot of good people, good Americans, they said, gosh, I don't want to go through this hell. 
you know, but I'll tell you one thing, you know, I don't know, I think Churchill said, if you're going through hell, keep going. I'll tell you one thing, that if we are not willing to do that, we're going to lose this republic. And I truly believe that Americans have enormous amounts of power to actually deliver it. And I would encourage people not to give up. We have too many people that die for our freedoms. We cannot forget about that. I truly believe that we still have the greatest republic that ever existed in the world because, you know, I was never elected by leadership of my party. They fought me. I fought so much with my own party. I was elected by the people of my party. And if someone like me can become in the part of the United States Congress, still the greatest institution, if we get our act together, with enormous amount of power and capabilities, then I truly believe our republic still is pretty strong and people are still pretty strong and people were able to overpower big money and big special interest group and corrupt politicians in my party to support me to win. I was elected by we the people. <laughs> Listen, my party probably afraid me more than the, of the Democrats because I want them to be bad. I don't want them to fail. So I think we still have abilities as the people to govern, but we keep losing and losing this more of these abilities. That's why we need to stand up and stand up on a bipartisan basis. And we're going to win because I think this is not a partisan issue. I think most Americans don't want to be governed by tyranny and dictators. Most Americans do not want to have socialism, communists. Most Americans just tired of what is happening here, but we can get on board. And I think it's important to educate other people and become more engaged and pay attention because if people pay attention, politicians will get that attention too. All right. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. Just uh, it sounds like, and, and you may have already answered this, I guess, but uh, if you could do it all over again, would you still move to the United States if you were moving into 2023 United States? And would you still run for office knowing what you know right now? Listen, um, in a lot of ways, I'm sometimes look, you have to be crazy, you know, to, you know, to move to other country, but some things, you know, just you know, God has a plan for you. And I truly believe, I said, we don't have media on the side, but we have God on our side. And I truly believe, you know, I came here and this is the only country where America is like, you know, I think Margaret Thatcher said, you know, Europe was created by history. America was created by philosophy, by philosophy of freedom. So I'm very, you know, happy that God, <laughs> maybe what is very tough for me, you know, that God, you know, had, situation in my life where me as a young person inspired by this country of ideas and ideals and coming here and he put me in a challenging situations you know but he always knows the reason why that i've been in this situation so i truly love this republic i truly believe that if there is no one else there if we are like if we are not strong as a republic if we are not succeed if there is no one else to fight the righteous fight, dictators will take over the world with the only obstacle to them. But we have to keep our country strong. We have to. We're, we are the shining light on the hill for freedoms around the world too. You know, we, the people don't even realize how people look up at us and how people dream to be an American. So I am very honored to be here. Uh, you know, I am very honored that I have great people of my state of Indiana, you know, sending me here to fight some battles and trust me that I'm going to fight for them, you know, and uh, going through all of the hardship makes you stronger. We should never be afraid. But I truly believe that this republic was created by God. <laughs> 
and this republic has to be saved. And I have no doubt that we're going to win this war because God is on our side and we don't need anyone else if he's on our side. Who can be against, right? That's right. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. We're honored to have you on here. If you ever want to come back and share another message, especially the big, uh, I know you're working on some big amendments right now and I uh, hope uh, they're successful. Thank you for, uh, for bearing your soul just a little bit with us here. And, and I hope you have a, a great rest of your week. Thank you very much. And thank you for what you do. I appreciate it very much. Of course. Yeah. Thank you, Congresswoman. All right, ladies and gentlemen, kind of moving there at the end, kind of, kind of got to a little bit of the meat of the bone and yeah, if you didn't see that, go back about two minutes, roll, roll back about two minutes. You can see that she actually believes this, which is not something that everybody can do. There are very few people who will have a spark of, uh, you know, kind of a little bit of water in their eye when they think about the way that America should be and it can be. We're going to actually end today's show with something that's pretty uplifting. What I wanted to do is actually, I don't always have time to do this, but we've got some time today. I want to hit some of the things that I thought were really salient and you can go back and listen to it again with these in your ear if you might. She says communism slash socialism. Every single time she says communism, she also adds socialism. There's something very profound about that as someone who has lived under that type of thing. We hear people that are socialists talk about, well, we're talking about socialism, not communism. And uh, you look at somebody who lived in the USSR, who grew up underneath communism slash socialism, and she considers them one thing. I think that is very telling. I just want you to consider that there is no daylight between those two things. They are they are different, uh, maybe different brand names. And she does it multiple times throughout the interview. And so that's something to consider. She also said, if you like Marxism, go live in China for a little bit. I think that's incredible, good, good wisdom for all those young people that think it's so wonderful, the implementation of their great strategies. Go check it out. The people that are on the political left that are the Antifa types that think that they want to fight fascism and they have this uh, idea of what it's going to, you know, they're all wearing masks. They all don't want to be identified. Go check out what Marxism looks like in implementation. If you go to China, there are more cameras in Beijing than there are in most countries, just in that city alone. And the reason is because they have to watch their population because the population is what is the danger for people that live under Marxism, that live under communism slash socialism. I think that's very telling. She also said you should travel when you're young. If you have young uh, kids that are teenagers, late teens, early 20s, that is a great time to go see a little bit of the world because it gives you perspective. I was able to live in London for about six months, maybe five, six months when I was uh, when I was younger. I think I visited 12 countries or so in Europe during that time. I've been to some other countries since then. But at the end of the day, I don't want to live anywhere except America. I don't want to take my family anywhere that I can't be armed, that I can't look out for them, and that I don't have to, that I, I don't want to have to ask anyone's permission to defend my family. And maybe you find differently. Maybe you think that Italy is the place to live. But I don't want to live in a place where I don't have the ability to do the things that the American experiment has offered us. So I do think it's really important that you're young, you have no children, you have no other responsibilities, you go out there and see it. You can take some risks that don't exist when you start having little kids. Uh, when you start being responsible for other human beings, you start making some different decisions. It's worth seeing that. And the best thing is, once you've been other places and you see what's out there, there is almost everything you can imagine in America, inside of our boundaries. We we have deserts, we have glaciers, we have mountains, right? We have seasides, we have forests, we have plains, all the things you can imagine. We have tundras. You can go all over this country and never leave and still be sort of at least nominally protected by our U.S. Constitution, which doesn't exist in other places. You don't have the rights under the government. You don't have the rights and the freedoms that we expect. They don't exist worldwide. And you can find that out very, very quickly when you realize that and you go and travel. So I think it's important to do those sort of things. Um, she consistently referred to the United States is a republic. And you'll find that to be very different than what happens 
when you listen to Democrats speak. They always talk about our democracy. We've talked about how the terms are so important and the words that we use are so important. The term republic is a barrier to the tyranny of the majority. And that's what a democracy is. It's the tyranny of the majority. It's 50% plus one. It's I don't have to listen to the minority and I can quash them simply because we have the numerical majority. The Republic requires that you have a, a, a massive, massive majority, 60% plus, and there's all kinds of barriers to entry on purpose. Our government is meant to move slowly. And her recollection and her, her continually saying the correct term which is Republic, it tells you that a lot of times immigrants have a better grasp of civics than Americans do. How many of you would have walked out of there, uh, you know, coming out of high school, and if somebody said, my democracy, you would have bristled? But you should, because we do not have that thing. I think it's really important to talk about that. Um, and, and Michelle in the chat was very astute to pull that out. I took that little note down. Some of you are not familiar with K Street. You're all familiar with Wall Street. Wall Street is the sort of ubiquitous term that we use to encapsulate big finance and the straight, the trading that happens on the stock markets because there is a stock market on Wall Street. K Street is where the lobbyists are based. It is an east-west route in Washington, D.C. It is just north of the U.S. Capitol, Capitol Hill, and the entire district there. And then it's also north of the White House. It spans the entirety east to west, and it is in the central part of Washington, D.C., northwest. It's where you find all of our lobbyists. And that's where the big money flows in. That's where a lot of the think tanks end up going. And that's where all the political pushes for power. So when she says that uh, that Congress is being manipulated by K Street, those are some of the big demons that we talk about. But K Street is just people that have the money that come from people like you. You can have a representative on K Street. The idea that it is is something that we cannot take back is also uh, a fantasy. And so I'm, I'm happy that she says, make some phone calls. She talks about when you're a lobbyist, you're already working from behind the eight ball with someone like Victoria, right? If you, if you take a phone call from a lobbyist, you already know they're trying to sell you something. Imagine when the phone rings and somebody calls and you know they're a salesperson. But if somebody calls up and they're your neighbor, or there's someone you've never met, but they happen to know, let's say your kid who lives in another state, you're going to listen. And so she said 10, 20, 30 calls. That is not very many people. We have 900 plus people sitting in the live chat right now. So that's enough to move most of uh, the, the Republicans in Congress that are not getting off their butts. 20 people making a phone call will move the needle for her is what she said, because they don't receive these phone calls. We always want to send an email because it's impersonal and it's just as easy to ignore. You always think about this. Somebody comes up and knocks on your door in person, you got to deal with that person. Somebody rings the phone and you don't know who it is, but you answer, you're probably going to talk to them politely. Somebody sends you an email, delete, very easy. So raise the bar of entry when it comes to them dismissing you. And when 20 people pick up the phone and ring a phone about a, a bill or an amendment or anything along those lines, she's mentioning that that makes a difference. I think it's really important. It's worth hearing it from somebody who's sitting in that seat. Um, she also said governing is tough. All right. And so, Ryan, if you'll slap up the, uh, our, uh, what is it, topic number topic number five. It's just a little, it's a little joke here. If it ain't fixed, break it. This is the legacy of Cloward Piven. We touched on it very, very briefly, but it's worth noting. Cloward Piven is a strategy that was developed in 1965 or thereabouts. It is a Democrat strategy at this point. And what they, they recommend is break it, break things. It's what's happening in Philadelphia right now. If you are able to break things, then you are able to recommend the fix. When you can see that it is in fact broken, and they are breaking Philadelphia, they are breaking many of our urban areas. It's the same story that we're hearing about in Baltimore, which is a disaster. Baltimore looks like a zombie apocalypse happened and we lost. 
The zombies invaded and we didn't win. We being human beings. It's a terrible place. And for all of you who live in Baltimore, if you think it's a, uh, the opposite, put it in the comments and I will debate you any day. It is the worst place I've ever visited in the United States. And I've gone to a lot of bad areas. I used to hang out in uh, Southeast DC, which is not nice. Baltimore is its own animal of sadness. And I've heard some stories from cops that work the beats there that absolutely I will not even repeat on the show because they're so debilitating. They are blackpilling type things. So they break things. And then the, the solution is the federal government comes in and fixes it. And so that's what they're talking about. Um, she talked about the, the one of the things, and I don't even think we spelled it out, but there is a difference between the left and the right. The political left doesn't operate on principles. They operate on progress. And that's why she said she's kind of jealous of her, her opponents. They all are able to work forward because it doesn't matter what the goal is. The goal is move the needle, always. Constantly get progress. Republicans are trying to stand on principles. And I will open that more broadly to people like me to include lowercase c, conservatives. Conservatives are interested in principles, founding principles, democratic principles from you know the beginning of our republic. And some of these things are, are you know debatable, but they we have a principle set that says, does this make sense? Are we pro-life? Are we uh, interested in individual freedoms? Do we wanna make sure that people have autonomy? Do, should they be able to self-determine in their life? When you talk about progress, progress can be all the things that are against that. And so they can march in all directions and they are always on the same team. Very interesting. And she also mentioned that they govern by crisis. The last thing I heard is that when you are looking at your representatives and you owe it to yourself and you owe it to your children to know who you are electing. She said some of these people couldn't even hold a $10 an hour job. You didn't hear it. We, we didn't ask because I, it's on her bio page. It's very easy for you to look up. She's a CPA. So Representative Sparts worked in finance. She worked as a bank teller. Then she got herself advanced degrees and she went on and became a CPA. There's some additional uh, requirements and, and experience that are required to become a CPA. She's an accountant. She looks at money and it makes sense to her because that's what her trade is. Her colleagues oftentimes have no trade. They have no real job. I think AOC is the perfect millennial to represent that. She's a personality with no substance. She has a degree, but she has no knowledge. You know, she's what Dan Bongino might call the... Uh, well, she, it's the opposite of what Dan Bongino would call. He worries about the uh, the stupid, smart people. Those are educated people that don't know anything. I would be worried that she's actually a smart, stupid person. She knows nothing, but she's very good at manipulating people. And so a smart, stupid person is a lot of what fills up Congress. And I think we just heard about that. People who couldn't hold a $10 an hour job, but are able to get elected to $175,000, $185,000 a year job. Interesting and scary. Um, I want to leave you with a couple thoughts. Number one is a little touch. We, if you heard earlier, the, the movement towards tyranny is, is pretty overwhelming. If you pull up topic number two, this is what the police state looks like in real life. This is the things that we are scared of right now. Uh, this is reporting coming from Breitbart. I'm actually going to start by telling you from New York Times. The judge denies re Trump's request. I always try to give you both sides of what it sounds like. And this is what the New York Times has to say. Uh, judge Tanya Chuckna, she rejected arguments from former President Trump's legal team that she could not fairly conduct his trial of federal charges for plotting to overturn the 2020 election. This is New York Times that I'm reading from, okay? It says, and, and just listen to the verbiage that is being used, and then we'll go to Breitbart and hear the other side of it. The judge overseeing former President Trump's trial on charges of seeking to overturn the 2020 election denied on Wednesday his attempt to disqualify her from the case, supposedly being biased against him supposedly biased. In a strongly worded order, the judge says the following rejected claims, says that she's shown bias, blah, 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 blah. And, and do they quote her? It says the statements certainly do not manifest a deep-seated prejudice that would make a fair judgment impossible. Does she quote any, or does the New York Times quote any of the things she said? No, does not. 
So let's move over to what Breitbart said. Breitbart is the headline that you're looking on there right now, uh, a piece written by Jordan Dixon Hamilton. And it says, same sort of setup. We're President Trump was seeking to have her recuse herself. But Breitbart actually goes out there and gives you the words that are the problem in the eyes of the attorneys that are defending. All right. And so let's just quote her. This is from one of her 20 page decisions. Um, sorry, this her 20 page decision was what she said that uh, that you know Trump had no grounding. But this is where we see sort of a real problem with the the actual words coming from some of her opinions. Let me see if we can pull them up real quick. Mm-mm-mm. Um. Oh, maybe Breitbart didn't have them on there. I read a different article earlier that was showing that she is, he basically said that she believes that there's some unindicted co-conspirators that need to be held accountable. She said that in multiple different trials. Julie Kelly is the one who's been reporting this. Apparently, Breitbart actually didn't do the work. I thought they did. I grabbed the wrong article for you all. She says, uh, she says a reasonable person aware of the statutory requirements that the court addresses, the defendant's arguments, and the state, and state its reasons for its sentencing, could understand in making the sentence contested here, that the court is not making vague declarations about third parties' potential guilt in a hypothetical future case. She defended herself. She wrote it. She basically wrote an opinion defending her own statements, which have been inflammatory from the bench, and she said that she's not. I would argue to you that when a judge who has a preconceived notion and then also has a, like a, she, she's acting as though she has some reason that she has to stay in there. Imagine if you were an impartial, unfair judge, and somebody says, look, I think you're being unfair. I don't think that you should be the person that is adjudicating my case. You should recuse yourself. Why would you fight to be on that case? Other than you think it actually indicates that you'd be that you'd be admitting some guilt in being impartial or uh, being partial rather to one side or the other. Who cares if you're partial? We're human beings. We're allowed to do that. When you have this sort of false sense that the, the judiciary is going to be impartial when it is not, and we've seen it in January 6 cases, it makes me very, very suspect. They are actually, they are delegitimizing what is going on in our court system, and they are doing so on their own volition. No one's asking them to. It's the same with the judge we showed you yesterday. Uh, one of the things you saw in that interview was the pin that, we're, that I'm wearing right now. I'm wearing it on my chest. This is our suspendables pin. All right, I'm bringing it on the screen. This is going to be in the merch store pretty soon too. So you can go to the-suspendables.com. Garrett O'Boyle designed these and it's worn upside down. Now look, I'll show it to you right side up too. It looks correct. The S will always look correct, right? Um, But in the same way that you can turn the American flag upside down, you can play it upside down and see that we are, it, it shows you that we are under duress. If you see an American flag that is raised upside down, it is an indication that either what's going on in that building or what's going on in this country is 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 a, a distressed scenario. And anybody who's been in the military or understands the flag code knows that. In the same way, we are running the badge upside down. That is the Suspendables logo. You see it all over the place. I don't know if I've ever spoken about it. I believe that we are an agency. The agencies that we are looking at, our judicial system, is under duress right now. It is in a state of distress and it is not operating fairly. And many people know that. And so if you want to support that, you can go and pick these things up. I don't know how many Garrett made, but we'll make another run of them at some point in the future. I'm more than happy to help front him some money to get these into the store. You can wear them when you are dressed. Uh, You can wear them on a hat. All they say is, is that you believe that we have undermined the legitimacy of our judiciary because of things like what this judge is doing, because of things like the way that we are seeing enforcement that is one-sided. We're going to play our clip from... Uh, the new Dinesh D'Souza movie about police state. I didn't ask 
Representative Sparks to bring up the words police state. She volunteered those because she knows and she's lived under what a police state looks like. And it looks a little something like the video that we're going to roll. If you guys haven't gotten your tickets, October 23rd and 25th are when you can buy them. I'm sorry, you can buy them on the website. It's policestatefilm.net, policestatefilm.net. And then you can buy them for the two showing dates. These are private showings. They're not going to be advertised. You won't see any movie pictures because literally the world we live in right now will cancel this film if they were to release it in any sort of normal distribution channels. They actually had to buy out the theaters in advance, turn around and sell you those tickets. So Ryan, if we can roll the trailer video number two, let's do that. And then we're gonna come, we're gonna end with a little bit of hope. I promised you that and I will. Here we go. We honor you, Father, for all that you've done for us. Chief Division Council and DOJ have approved a no-knock breach. We want the subject to be on display, doing the walk of shame, full visual impact. Any questions? Are we becoming a police state? Government told American citizens they couldn't go to church on Sunday. For the first time in my life, I'm saying to myself, am I gonna get a knock at the door? FBI warrant, come to the door now! The Patriot Act and FISA were used against Donald Trump. These individuals have commissioned the biggest propaganda play in U.S. history. They don't go after the people that rigged the election. They go after the people that want to find out what the hell happened. We don't need to have a crime. What we need is a person to look at. And then we go find out what crime you did. FBI! Our focus is shifting. Our main priority as a bureau is going to be domestic terrorism. It really paints anybody who's right of center. If you're a pro-life, pro-family Catholic, they define you as radical. These are anti-government. We have freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Violent extremists, and they must be dealt with. We can do anything we want. So some of you in the chat, I think Bill just said, uh, I play this just to make sure that I, you guys stay pissed off all week. That's not the goal. I just want you to know that this is a sad time when you have to make a movie like that. That movie shouldn't have to be made. But when someone who has grown up under communism socialism, as Rep Sparks just said in our interview, when she's letting you know that there is a police state, I think that we should be aware and we should at least know what we're walking into. But it's not all bad. And I'm going to play you a clip from probably my favorite television show that I've ever watched. It's the best eight hours of TV, as far as I can tell, that was ever made. It is such a fantastically told story. And it starts off with some of the darkness. Let me set this up real quick. This is a clip from True Detective. It's the end of season one. It's not giving away anything that's going to happen. In fact, I encourage you to watch it. If you've never seen it, you have wasted some of your TV life because you could be watching this. And True Detective is something I watched a few times when I was at the FBI Academy. It kind of holds a special place in my heart. It, it reminds me what it's meant to be if you really care about finding truth. If you really care about determining what the facts say and you're not going to be swayed by political movements, if you're not going to be swayed by anybody trying to uh, dis, you know, get you off the scent of truly evil things. Now, the character that you're going to see, Matthew McConaughey's character, is a nihilist. He goes in long form about it. It's very dark for a long time. And this is sort of the redemption moment. And many of us are feeling that that darkness. You're feeling that nihilist. Nothing we do matters. None of it makes a difference. Nothing that goes on in this world, uh, you know, in the political sphere is going to move the needle. You just heard that 20 to 30 phone calls can change the mind of a representative on an issue that matters. 
you just heard somebody who says that she does believe that this is the best country and that we are, we do have God on our side. And so I want you to watch this video. This is uh, uh, video number one that I've got queued up here, Ryan. If we can, we can just think about this. This is a, a conversation between two sort of frenemies, these guys who had like a lot of back and forth, but in real life, they're really good buddies. Uh, this is uh, Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey talking at the end of True Detective season one. Tell me if this doesn't make you feel just a little bit better. I think the last line is what we're all waiting for. So let's get the setup. Go ahead and roll that, that clip for me. Didn't you tell me one time at dinner, once maybe, about you used to, you used to make up stories about the stars? Yeah, I was, I was, um, you know, in Alaska, under the, under the night skies. Yeah, I used to lay there and look up, yeah, at the stars. Yeah, you remember I ain't and I never watched the TV till I was 17, so there wasn't much to fucking do out there besides walk around, explore. And, and look up at the stars and make up stories. Like what? I tell you, Marty, I've been up in that room looking out those windows every night here and just thinking. one story the oldest okay light versus dark well I know we ain't in Alaska but here's to me that the dark has a lot more territory Harrelson says that uh, it looks like the dark's got an awful lot more territory. It's the dominating amount in the sky. And the oldest story is light versus dark, which I think is true. And then you hear Matthew McConaughey reframe it. And he says, you're looking at it all wrong because in the beginning there was only dark. It looks like the light's winning. And that's the way that we have to appear. We have to, we have to approach this in that way. We have to know that there is a point of light everywhere. And Representative Sparks, we, we talked after the interview and she is a point of light. So if you're, if you're feeling like there's nothing out there, that's the reason that you should be fighting. Be a point of light. You can go out there and make a difference. We are in a spiritual war. This is a battle. 
And it is a battle for whether or not we get to raise our kids in a place that is not a police state, in a place that is free and enjoyed the liberties that some of us saw. There's always been flaws in this country, no doubt about it. Some of them darker than others, no question. We've shed blood over it in this country. In the 1860s, from 61 to 65, there was an awful lot of blood shed for some real darkness that happened. And yet, we keep coming out of it. I think the light is still winning. It's just, it might get ugly. You know, it might get ugly for a while. So just be aware of that. I don't want to leave anybody on a low note, especially not on a Thursday. We are coming into the weekend. We got the Friday coming up. We'll have Friendly Friday done tomorrow. So we do want to thank all of you on there. I'll let you guys know since you're asking about it. Here it is. This is how you find uh, the Suspendables merch right there. I'll throw it on the screen. Ryan, if you want to make that full screen, the Suspendables.com. It's the-suspendables.com. The-suspendables with an S on the end of it.com. Spelled out just like it sounds. We're going to get the, uh, we'll get those badges set up on there. I got a little handful of them that I can hand out to people that are suspendables and we'll probably be awarding some, maybe putting them in the uh, the mail to some folks. I'd like to see someone like a Matt Getz have one on his uh, on his lapel when he goes out there and speaks in front of Congress. So we'll work on that. But the-suspendables.com is a merch store. The shirts are great. They have the same upside down badge. They show duress. You can see them on the Zelensky special. All the ones on the front either have the S with a Betsy Ross around it, which is our, uh, our 13 founding stars, or you're going to find it with the upside down badge. So the PT shirt has the badge and things like that. We appreciate you guys checking that out. That just supports Garrett Boyle. This is his enterprise. It's something that he's really passionate about making. He really wanted to do this anyway. So there you go. And uh, as you can see, it looks pretty sharp. It is a very sharp looking white enamel badge. Um, The-suspendables.com. We're going to close it there, folks. Be a point of light. We appreciate you guys joining us. A lot of you coming in in the live chat. I actually saw my mom in there, so that's kind of charming. You guys kind of lost your mind about that. Uh, you can find us streaming live 0930 Eastern time. That's 830 here in Texas, America from Liberty Hill, Texas. The Kyle Serafin Show, it is based on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. But if you want the live chat that we pay attention to, come over here to Rumble and join us. Check out our moderators. Check out all of us. If you guys want to be a subscriber, you can hit the follow button at the bottom of the chat. You'll see the button that there. It immediately turns red and allows you to hit subscribe. It's five bucks a month if you want to do that. There's nothing special to them. We know that you're a subscriber because your line is highlighted in red, which you can see here as it scrolls on the live chat. And, um, you know, it just lets us know that you appreciate us. We appreciate you for doing so. If you want to do so, by all means, join us. You can join the, uh, I don't know, there's a handful of you out there that are that are getting it done, and we do uh, appreciate the support. Uh, follow Ryan Matta. He produced the show. He's a great guy. He's over on LFA TV. There he is. He's up in the corner. Is this the corner? No, he's in that corner. This corner. That corner. Where are you, Ryan? There he is. And he's always muted. He muted himself on a show this morning. You can find him on LFA TV. Always. Always. Yeah, at Ryan Matta, M-A-T-T-A, at Ryan Matta Media on Twitter. And you can find him at Matta of Fact, M-A-T-T-A of Fact on LFA TV at two. I just saw that In God's Hand just became an only supporter. So there you go. That's how you do it, folks. You just click on there and you say, I want to be part of it. We do appreciate that. We've had some questions on Twitter. So now you know. Uh, we'll see you guys again for Friendly Friday. Steve's been uh, chomping at the bit. He got really excited about being able to run the show last week. So he's excited to get back on here and communicate with you all. We'll have some fun topics to discuss. We'll see you at 0930 tomorrow. Have a great day. Go be a point of light. Oh, Ryan's going to give me one of these. Not going to let you go out of there, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I owe you guys one more thing here. This is from Robomatic. Uh, this is a five-star review saying, take it to the masses, Kyle. Thank you for all you do to bring truth to light. How about that? I didn't even pick this on purpose. It just turned out to be the next one in order. It's refreshing to hear, even though it may not be comfortable. Keep up the great work. Never give up. Texas, America has your back. Appreciate it. There it is. Go be a point of light. Set it in the review even. That's God's uh, sign. That's called providence, y'all. We'll see you again tomorrow. 
Thanks for listening to the Kyle Serafin Show, streamed live weekdays on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. Follow Kyle on Twitter, Truth Social, and Instagram at Kyle Serafin.